speak to us uh, as uh, we consider this word together. We pray your spirit will strengthen me, uh, enable me to preach this word rightly in his power, uh, and may he work in each of our hearts, may he open our eyes that we might see Jesus, and give us hearts that love him uh, so that we want to obey him, uh, to love you and to love our neighbors. Uh, so uh, please uh, work among us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Bible tells us that we are to love God with all our heart. And it tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. But what does it look like to love God? And what does it look like to love our neighbor? Does the Bible tell us this as well? Or are we just left to make it up? Well, last week we saw God rescued his people, Israel, from slavery in Egypt. Uh, he brought them to Mount Sinai to make a covenant with him. And if you look at the chart in uh, 2B of your outline, uh, you'll see in Exodus 19, they come to Mount Sinai. And God came down onto the mountain in fire and darkness and thick smoke. And in Exodus 20, God spoke the Ten Commandments from the mountain. Although first he reminded them that he was the God who saved them. And now they're his people and he's their God. And after this, the people said, after hearing the Ten Commandments from the voice, God said, this is too scary. We can't listen to God's voice lest we die. And so Moses went up the mountain and received in chapters 21 to 23 the, the covenant code, which is like case law, applying the Ten Commandments uh, to the situation of the time. And at the end of this, in chapter 24, the covenant would be sealed with a sacrifice. And so it became very clear last week that the Ten Commandments were given not in isolation, but as part, as part of God's covenant with His people Israel. They weren't given directly to us. We are in the new covenant, not the old one. But they do have application for us. For the God who gave his commandments to his people Israel is the same God who is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and his character is unchanging. We are not under the law of Moses, we're under the law of Christ. The old covenant taught Israel how to love God and love neighbor, and well, the New Testament, our new covenant documents, show us how to do that. And while the New Testament tells us we are not under the law, it also tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness. In other words, the New Testament teaches us the Old Covenant still has a role to teach us how to love God and love our neighbor. But we need to hear God's Word in the Old Covenant and apply it to us, not as Israelites, but as Christians who are part of the New Covenant. And the New Testament guides us as to how to do that. And then last week, we looked at the first four commandments, or words, as Exodus puts it. God wanted Israel to worship Him exclusively, to take no other gods beside Him. He wanted them to avoid idolatry. They were not to make an image of Him, or to worship or bow down to any image of anything. He warned them not to take His name in vain. And He commanded them to keep the Sabbath holy. We saw how those words applied to Israel, especially looking in that covenant code but also how the New Testament helps apply these words to us. And if you weren't here last week and you want to see this more, you can download the sermon from the website. But today, we're looking at the next six words. And we begin with a command in verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Right? God was bringing his people into the promised land, and one of the criteria for long life in the land, whether it's talking about individually or talking about as a people together, we're not sure. But one of the criteria is that they should honor their parents. Many of these people actually be people whose parents rebelled against God. 
who grumbled against him, who failed to obey him. But this did not exempt their children from needing to honor them. Honor is due to parents based on who they are in relation to us, not on what they have done. How one honors them may depend on what they've done and therefore the nature of the relationship, but that one honors them is simply a command from God. And God takes this command very seriously. And we see the application of this to Israel in the covenant code in chapter 1 verse 17, where he even says, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. In New Testament times, the Pharisees had made a legal loophole using their tradition so that people didn't have to give financial support to their parents. And Jesus criticized them for it because the loophole was from their tradition, the command to honor was from the word of God. Jesus himself honored his parents as a child and submitted to them. And even as an adult at the cross, he made sure his mother was provided for through the apostle John. And after his death and resurrection, the New Testament writers continue to tell us to honor our parents. Uh, in Romans 1.30, one of the many kinds of evil things Paul speaks about from the world at large that comes from the fact that, 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 that the world has failed to treat God properly is, is disobedience to parents. In 2 Timothy 3, disobedience to parents is a sign of the general rebellion against God of the last days. So honoring parents is just, not just for Israel, it's, it's for the whole world. Honoring parents involves obeying them, in particular when growing up. And so the New Testament commands children to obey their parents in both Colossians and Ephesians, talking to Christian children. Ephesians 6 tells children obey their parents in the Lord and fathers to bring up their children in the fear of the Lord. Part of honoring our parents when we are already grown up is to respectfully make sure that they're looked after. And one aspect of that is financial. And so in 1 Timothy 3, Paul says the church should not have to provide for people who have children or grandchildren. The children or grandchildren themselves should, and I quote, first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Furthermore, he says, anyone who does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Strong words indeed. Now, there are many things we're not told here. We're not told how much to give. We're not told what to do if our parents waste the money on alcohol or gambling. We're not told we have to give them a particular standard of living. I take it we should make sure they're not destitute, and if they are, it's not because that we have refused to help them. We are given the principle, and the rest we need to work out. Honor them, and as part of that, seek to look after them. As followers of Jesus, we are to honor our parents as part of our service to him. There'll be different ways of honoring parents as people and circumstances and cultures differ. Uh, there'll be people from families and backgrounds where this is particularly difficult due to the nature and the history of the relationship. And so honoring parents for one person may look very different from honoring parents for another. And yet, even then, we are to honor parents, but we are to place God above parents. Jesus went to the cross in obedience to God, even though it broke his mother's heart. And he calls us to put him and his kingdom first, even above our parents. For some people, that might be, mean becoming a follower of Christ, even though their parents want them to follow another religion. 
Uh, for some people, it means taking a lower salary and therefore being able to give less, those two res responsibly to their parents for the sake of uh, being able to serve in church or be involved in ministry. Even though the parents want them to be able to take a higher paying job to they, so they can provide a more luxurious lifestyle. Christ comes before parents. That does not diminish our responsibility to honor our parents. Rather, it shows the even greater honor that Christ is due. For obeying Him is a priority even over the people to whom we are to otherwise give the most honor. The next thing God tells His people is in verse 13. You shall not murder. Now, if you notice, there's a little footnote, uh, number four, at the end of that. And if you follow it down the bottom, it says, The Hebrew word also covers causing human death through carelessness or negligence. So it's talking about murder or manslaughter. Right? Uh, this doesn't include capital punishment. Uh, that's mandated by the covenant code later. Uh, it doesn't include war, or at least especially war that's commanded by God, because that's also mandated later. Uh, in the covenant code, both intentional killing and unintentional killing are wrong. For intentional, premeditated killing, uh, capital punishment uh, is, is, is what results. Uh, in chapter 21, verse 12, uh, we read that whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. And what about negligence? Well, it's very interesting. Look at chapter 21, verse 28. It says, When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stolen and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. Now, that reminds me that I should not do things, even little things that put other people's lives in danger, like texting when I drive. But Jesus teaches us that to really obey this command from the heart it's not enough just to refrain from murder or manslaughter. He says, if we're angry with our brother, if we insult him, if we call him a fool, then actually we've murdered him in our heart. Right? Murder is just the last step in a series of thoughts, feelings, and actions that, that start in the heart. And if I'm angry, not with the kind of righteous anger that Jesus shows against sin and injustice, but the kind of anger that wants to attack the other person, whether it's verbally or physically, well, well that's sin as well. Uh, because whether or not murder is created out there, it's, it's committed in here. Uh, the letter of the law tells me I mustn't murder my brother. Jesus tells me I mustn't hate him. In fact, I must seek reconciliation with him. And if I hate my brother or sister, and I nurse an evil grudge against them, then, then that's murder in the heart. Let me read to you from 1 John 3, verse 14 and 15. It says this, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so you see, for new covenant believers, we are to seek to please God in this area, not simply by refraining from murder, but by seeking to live in peace. Colossians 3 tells us that as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other as God has forgiven you, putting on love which binds everything together, and letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts to which we are called in one body. From murder, 
God then goes on to speak against adultery. He says in verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Now, in the covenant code, premarital sex was also wrong. We read about that just now. If two parties had premarital sex, then they will have to get married. Uh, if the father of the girl agrees, presumably an escape clause protector against having to marry someone entirely unsuitable. But adultery, to have someone sex with someone else's wife, is far more serious. So serious is the offense that later on in Deuteronomy, the death penalty was imposed for both parties who committed adultery. But once again, Jesus teaches us to obey the law from the inside. Uh, he says that everyone who looks upon a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, Jesus is not talking about finding attractive people attractive. He's not talking about finding yourself with an attraction you recognize as inappropriate and you purposely don't feed it. Jesus is saying if you look, in order to stir up sexual desire, that is wrong. Guard the way you look at and think about other people. For looking in order to stir or feed desire is the first step along the road to sexual intercourse. Remember how Bill Clinton went so far along that road, even the whole world could recognize he committed adultery, but he technically didn't have intercourse, so he could say, I didn't have sex with that woman. Jesus said, don't even start along that road, not even in the head. No lustful viewing, no pornography on the internet, certainly no sexting on the phone. And if you walk along that road, whether or not you actually go to bed with someone, you've, you've done so in your heart. Uh, furthermore, Jesus says in Matthew 19, if you, if you divorce to remarry, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, you're, you're actually committing adultery because God designed marriage to be permanent. Uh, later on in the Bible, we discover that, that God made it to be reflecting the relationship between Christ and the church and, and Christ is faithful to his people and, and what God wants to see is faithfulness in marriage and so the Holy Spirit says to his new covenant people in Hebrews 13 let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous the eighth command is about stealing and it very simply says in verse 15, you shall not steal. In the covenant code, the most serious theft is actually that of human beings. A human trafficking is condemned in chapter 21, verse 16, where it says, whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. If it was just property and the thief is caught, then he just has to repay with property. No, no cutting off the hand or anything like that because in the Old Testament law, things to do with people like murder and adultery and kidnapping, those are far more serious than the property things. Uh, repayment in property is done by the property thief. And so in chapter 22, verse 7 to 8, the repayment is five times for oxen and four times for the sheep if the, if the animal is, uh, is killed or, or, or sold or just double if the stolen goods or animals are recovered. In the New Testament, Stealing, of course, is prohibited as well. And, and human trafficking is also mentioned. Uh, in 1 Timothy 1.10, it lists a whole lot of things that are not compatible with the gospel, and one of those things is, being, is what is called an enslaver, someone who kidnaps other people and sells them into slavery. Even today, we know that human trafficking is a big problem in Malaysia. Uh, sometimes foreign workers with debt bondage are sold for sexual exploitation. Sometimes babies are taken and sold for adoption. This is a, a terrible evil in our country must not have any part in these things. 
for, for human theft is incompatible with God's people. Now, property theft is also incompatible with being a believer. Uh, in Ephesians 4.28, the thief who comes to believe in Christ must no longer steal. Now, I doubt there are many of us here who will go and take people's handbags or, or break into people's homes. But if we download pirated music from the internet, well, that's stealing as well, isn't it? And if we cheat on our taxes, then we're stealing from society. And if we fail to pay our staff, we're, we're stealing from them. Let's look carefully at what we do and keep asking, are we loving our neighbor by not taking or withholding what is rightly theirs? And even the theft of property has a new dimension in the new covenant. Ephesians 4.28 continues that let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Love goes beyond simply not stealing from others to actually helping them. Word number nine is in verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Uh, we see this elaborated for Israel again in the covenant code. Uh, in Exodus uh, 23 verse 1, we read, You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. Justice is important to God. Being a false witness perverts justice. And so Israelites were not meant to be false witnesses. Jesus himself was a victim of false witnesses. Remember in his Jewish trial, they brought false witnesses to testify against him. And so was Stephen, the first martyr. He was stoned to death for blasphemy in Jerusalem on the basis of false witnesses. Among God's covenant people, God also wants us to tell the truth in the new covenant. In fact, when we just, it's not even just in, the, in a legal kind of situation. When we say something bad about someone and it's not true, that's already wrong, isn't it? That, that, that's slander. Uh, in Romans 1.30, slanderers are another group in that list of God of, that God has given up to a debased mind. Uh, talking to Christians, Ephesians 4.31 tells us to get rid of all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. And that applies to us in the words we use day by day. If we spread gossip and it's not true, we are slandering the victim of the gossip. If you're not sure if it's true or not, then better not say lah. If we forward WhatsApp that say bad things about other people and they're not true, then we're slandering them. Always be very careful what you send. Check first, make sure it's right. Fake news about someone is false witness against them. Always think, am I sending this in love? Don't be a false witness. Finally, word number 10 is no coveting. Uh, the word covet means to deeply desire something. And here's what the law of Moses says in verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that is your neighbor's. Notice commandment number 10 really gets things back into the heart, doesn't it? Right? Uh, before you steal your neighbor's stereo, you covet it. Before you commit adultery with your neighbor's wife, you covered her. All this has already happened in the heart. And so here, even here in the Ten Commandments, we have got a command to obey from the heart. Do not covet. And when we come to the New Covenant, this command is repeated. Ephesians 5.5 says, You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, 
has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So covetousness is linked with idolatry, uh, probably because the covetous person loves the object he was coveting more than he loves God. The op opposite of coveting is contentment, and that is what we are to cultivate. Uh, and so we read in Hebrews 13.5, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You know, and that is quoting God's words to Joshua because God, promising John was called, God was promising Joshua he would bring him and his people into the promised land. And if you and I have that promise that we are going into the promised land and we are going to receive our inheritance, uh, then we can learn to be content because we know the inheritance is coming uh, and we can be content in what God has given us here. So brothers and sisters, as we look at these Ten Commandments and we realize that the implications of them are far bigger than just the, what it seems like on the surface. Uh, we actually also know that none of us have really kept them properly. We may not have committed murder or adultery, but who here can say we've not done that in our heart? Who here has not ever been guilty of saying false things about others? Who here hasn't been covetous? Uh, uh, we see here from these Ten Commandments applied to us today that actually we also are lawbreakers. And the command of God are meant to be kept from the heart, and we have failed. Jesus said that out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, all those things we've been talking about. Because when we fail to keep God's command in these things, we're actually showing symptoms of a heart that is unclean. The law shows us our sinfulness. And it shows us that if we hope to be saved by our own goodness and obedience, we actually would never be able to do it. It shows us the need for a Savior. Jesus is the Savior who kept the law perfectly. He is the one who never sinned. He loved the Father perfectly from the heart and his neighbor as himself, and he fulfilled the law perfectly. Yet Jesus died on the cross, taking the curse of the law, the curse that is meant to fall on those who disobey it. For on the cross, Jesus bore your sin and mine. He took our curse, our punishment, for our failure to keep the law. And by doing so, he purchased our forgiveness and pardon. Galatians 3.13 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So friends, we're not under the law of Moses anymore. We, the law of Moses doesn't make us right with God. If we believe in Jesus, we are under the new covenant. And in this new covenant, we have forgiveness of our sins through the death of Jesus in our place. He, we are forgiven for that failure to keep the law. But in the new covenant, God also gives us His Spirit that we might love Him and obey Him from the inside. And as we've seen today, the Spirit teaches us to do that through the Word that He has given. And when He teaches us to do that, it's still similar to what God told the Israelites to obey based on the Ten Commandments, which is, again, it's not surprising because it's coming from the same God reflecting His unchanging character. In the here, God is teaching Israel how to love Him and love their neighbor in their situation. And God still wants us to love Him and love our neighbor in ours. The commands we saw last week showed them and us how to love God. The commands we saw this week show us and them how to love neighbor. We don't obey this as a law of trying to reach God in order to be saved. 
but we seek to love God and love neighbor and do it in the way that we're shown here in response to the salvation that we have in Christ. We love God, we love others because he has first loved us. And we show the evidence of the Spirit's work in us if we are producing that fruit of love. If step by step we are being changed to become more like Christ and showing uh, that love to God and neighbor. So let me close by reading the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 13. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess to you that uh, we have so often uh, failed to keep your law from, from our heart. Uh, Father, we know that this is because uh, our hearts uh, in our hearts are sinful, uh, and the Lord has shown us that. Our Father, we thank you for giving your Son, the Lord Jesus, uh, to bear the curse of the law uh, on our behalf. Uh, thank you that he has died for us. And thank you that we are under the new covenant in which our sins are forgiven uh, through his death for us. And that you have given us the Spirit uh, so that we want to obey you from the inside. Uh, and you've given us hearts that, that actually do want uh, to love you and love our neighbor. Uh, and so, Father, we pray that you strengthen us to do that. Uh, keep showing us uh, by your Spirit through your word uh, how it is that we should be uh, loving you and loving neighbor. Uh, please keep changing us into the image of Christ, making us more like him uh, who truly loves. Uh, so help, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.